This morning in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15, the Apostle Paul gives a series of instructions to the church in Thessalonica about how to live in community with one another. He encourages them to respect their leaders, to live in peace with one another, to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And as we study the passage today, we'll see how these instructions are just as relevant to us today as they were to the early church. I want to explore how we can apply these teachings of Paul in our own lives, in our own relationships, and how they can help us to grow together in our faith. So let's open up our hearts and minds to God's Word, and we'll put it up on the screen. If you would read along with me, it's just three verses. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. Amen. Now, this is a passage of scripture that I normally like to have someone from outside uh, come and preach, because it can feel a little self-serving, if I'm being honest. Um... But I'm going to do my best this morning to to tackle this. The issue that's first raised in verse 12 is the issue of authority in the church. And and Timothy has done his work well. He's organized the church in Thessalonica. And there are elders that he has appointed to rule over the congregation. And so the question comes up, how should we or how should members view them and their work? And that's what Paul is going to unpack for us. And, and it's a really important matter. We, we live in a time that tends to reject all authority, um, not just in the church, but really anywhere and everywhere that it can. But the members of, of the church are to recognize those who labor among them, as verse 12 says. But that doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, make them famous, like, oh, you know, they're walking down the street and you're like, oh, that, look, look at him. I know who he is. It's not that kind of recognizing. But to recognize them with, because of their place of authority and to recognize them as the elders that they are. So they, they, Paul is wanting them to, to treat them with respect and appreciation that belongs to the people that hold the office of elder. But I want to remind you that this isn't a title-only office. (laughs) Paul tells us here that it requires something. Labor. Labor, according to the original term that Paul uses here, literally means wearisome toil. Amen? That, that's, this isn't like, oh, I'm an elder, look at me, I'm not ever going to do anything. No. <laughs> Paul's like, the elders that you're respecting, the elders that you're recognizing are, are the ones that are 
wearisomely toiling over the church, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ. So the eldership, when properly exercised, is no easy task. And to show respect then, Paul says, is quite proper. These guys are working hard for you. But many church members are rebels. They were born rebels, and now they're saved rebels. But they're still rebels, right? And they show little or no respect to God's authority in the church. And so Paul is seeking to correct that. And Paul is saying that it's your responsibility to urge them to, to recognize those who labor and have the rule over them. Like in Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, the way in which you esteem and respect your elders is either going to bring your elders joy or groaning. And Paul then goes on to tell us how these elders labor. They, they labor at managing the church and caring for those whom they bear rule. So there's these two tasks that Paul is showing us that elders do. Manage or rule and then admonish, or I'm going to argue that term is counsel biblically. We don't use the word admonish a whole lot nowadays. But that word to be over, it just, it just means to manage as one who's leading and organizing the church. And the other word there is admonish. It's not used much these days, but we would probably understand it better if we use the word counsel. The word that's used here in the Greek means to provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief, right? When you pull someone aside and you give them counsel, hey, the way in which you're going is not a healthy way. You need to be going this way, right? To provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. And the word admonishing or counseling consists of at least three ideas. One there's something the person needs that, that needs to be changed in the person, right? You, you don't have to counsel someone who's doing it right. So obviously, step one, there's something wrong. There's something that needs to be corrected and changed. Two, this change must take place by verbal confrontation, right? This isn't just your elders going, I'm going to pray for these people that they get better, no, it's the elder standing up and preaching faithfully the word of God and letting that be a mirror to the people in the church so they can see where they are off. But it's also meeting one-on-one -on -one with people and opening up God's word and using it as a mirror to show them where they're off. Lastly, there must be a confrontation. And again, this, this confrontation... Sometimes we hear the word confrontation and we have a very negative idea, right? We, we want to avoid confrontation. We want to avoid conflict. But in, in the case of an elder, that confrontation always occurs out of a concern for the person. 
right? A concern for their soul. In Hebrews, it says that elders are to care for your soul. And so when that confrontation comes, it's, it's out of care and it's out of love. So counseling, and I, I would just add to that specifically biblically counseling, is confrontation out of concern that leads to biblical change. That's all it is. It, it is confronting people out of concern for their souls that leads to biblical change. And Paul tells us there should be an attitude on the part of the members of the church that, that holds the elder in high esteem because of this work. Right? This is, this is hard work. But too often that attitude is missing. And Paul's seeking to correct that. We, we must work together as a body to raise the respect level of those who have authority over us in the congregation. As a matter of love, says Paul. Not only should the officers of the church be loved, but the but to love them is one way to love God, who called and ordained them to their work. So Paul urged the church to be at peace with the elders. And sadly, too, too often times the opposite is true. Now, there are several reasons why church members aren't at peace with their elders. And I could probably preach a whole sermon with 20 points on that. But I, I want to just give you two this morning. Right? It's Easter morning. You want to go have some lunch with your family, hopefully. So let me, let me just give you probably two of the biggest reasons that I see that people aren't at peace with their elders. And the first is actually against elders. So you can take a breath here, okay? <laughs> Not all elders understand the task God has called them to. Not all elders understand the task that God has called them to. Some have it in their mind that they are just rulers. This is that position only. Like, I have a title, you automatically respect me. They're forgetting, they, they, they get rid of the wearisome toil, the caring of the souls, right? They just want the title and the respect. And sadly, many seek after the title as just another form of recognition and status and respect within their community. In other words, they want the title and the respect, but they're not interested in the labor, the wearisome toil. And because of this, many have misused the office. And because of this happening, many people struggle to submit to any other elder for fear they will be like the ones that they had in the past. And much like a wife who has been abused, struggles to fully love and submit to her new husband that, that loves her and cherishes her and doesn't abuse her, in the back of her mind, she's always wondering, when will he take advantage of me? And sadly, many in the church live their entire lives like this. They struggle to grow in sanctification because they refuse to submit to God's authority over them. So that's how we mess up sometimes. But the second way I see this happen is what I like to call pod, 
pastors. Pod pastors. It's a new term. It's not a real word in the English language. <laughs> Amber's outside, so she won't be mad at me until she hears this later. But there's a phenomenon in our current culture that I'm calling pod pastors. And we live in a truly amazing time technologically. And on any given day, we have access to some of the best Bible teachers that have ever been recorded. If you like an English accented pastor, just search up Alistair Begg, one of my favorites. You'll get access to over 3,000 of his sermons. You'll run out of time before you hear them all. No matter what your taste or your preferences are, you can find a Bible teacher that caters to it. And while I praise God for this ability, for the gospel to go out all over the world and in many formats, I myself have benefited greatly from listening to some of these great men of God preach the truth. But we also have to be aware that there is a danger to it. And Paul warns of this danger in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. He's talking to Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Okay, so, so he's speaking to Timothy saying, this is what you need to do regularly, Timothy. And here's why. Verse 3. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves a playlist of teachers to suit their own passions. I added playlist. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you see the danger? It's so easy to find a pod pastor that is more dogmatic like you. It's so easy to find a pod pastor that focuses on end times like you like to do. It's so easy to find one more focus on social justice like you like to do. It's easy to find one who's more bombastic like you are. It's easy to find one that's more into academic theology than applied theology like you are. Whatever your passions look like, again, you can have a playlist of 20 different guys like that that will all cater to whatever it is that you personally like. Notice, Paul says the result is that they turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, where are Christians called to regularly listen to the truth? The church, right? Forsake not the fellowship. Sit and listen to the apostles' teaching regularly. And notice the verse before it, Paul is charging Timothy, the elder, to do what? To preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul is describing a phenomenon we see nowadays all the time. People will start listening to their favorite pod pastor that fits their passion, and they will begin submitting to them instead of the elder that God has placed over them. And what's the result, Paul says? They stop listening to the truth. In other words, they stop coming to church and hearing the truth 
from the local elder that God has sovereignly placed over them, they've instead decided, I'm going to find my own elders. Ones that don't talk back, by the way. Ones that don't ever reprove or rebuke, by the way. And once they stop listening to the truth, they wander away. God has designed the church in such a way that it can never be a purely virtual experience. It can't be a virtual event. He in his sovereignty and goodness has placed elders over the church to care for that local church. It's not the responsibility of our local church to fix all the social problems in America or in the world. It's our responsibility to share the gospel in our local community, to roll up our sleeves and bless our community. Not every community, but our community. Pod pastors often try to use their national platforms as a launching pad to be critical of every problem in society. Whereas local pastors are encouraging their local church to get involved in their community so that they can be agents of the gospel in their towns. It's easy to follow a pod pastor and just rail against all the problems, say, for instance, in the American education world, right? But it's much harder to show up week in and week out and mentor at-risk kids in your local community. The pod pastor just leads to more rhetoric. God, through the local church, is calling us to action. Now, you may be asking, well, what does that action look like? What, what is Paul calling us to do? And Paul and I are glad you asked. Because the rest of our text this morning answers that question. Every member informally, is to counsel along with the elders who do it formally. Again, notice that word, admonish, shows up. Paul urges them to admonish the idle or counsel the idle, encourage the timid, support the weak, and be patient with everyone. First, counsel the idle. The, the, the problem of idleness that Paul has already mentioned earlier he will go into it even more greater detail when we get to 2 Thessalonians. But this seems to have been a serious problem in this church. It seems that there were some people who just refused to work and who just wanted to mooch off of others. And Paul says that they need to be counseled. They need to be admonished. And I find it interesting that he is calling them to admonish them and to counsel them for something that seems like a non-spiritual issue, right? Paul is urging the church members to counsel them. And sadly, because we have this kind of idea of sacred and secular mentality, we've gotten so far away from what Paul is teaching here. We think church should help us with spiritual things, but they, they shouldn't talk about our work ethic or anything else, right? You, you handle the spiritual stuff, I'll handle all the other stuff on my own. Nothing could be farther from Paul's mind. The gospel changes everything. Everything in your life is different. Everything is now spiritual. And as we see, saw a few weeks ago, Paul had no problem telling them to get to work and to work hard. 
Second, Paul called the church to encourage the faint-hearted. And I like the, literally this word means small soils, <laughs> soiled, sold, small sold. Doesn't that paint a vivid picture? Kind of a small, shriveled up soul that you see in some people. Souls that have been starved, that need the nourishment of the word of God. And because they're malnourished, they're people with little get up and go. Like they, they just don't have that spiritual energy to move forward. They have to be pushed or pulled into everything that they do. Yet, as with the idol, we must be patient with them. And often this is so hard to do. Sometimes we wish we could just shake them out of spiritual inactivity, right? As if we could just get a hold of them and shake them hard enough, they'd snap out of it. Or, or, or maybe we could just stick a piece of dynamite under them and that, that would get them moving, right? But we must not, Paul says. While never for a second condoning their behavior, we must not ever give up on them. It's so sad to me to hear story after story of people that were in this place. They're, they're faint-hearted. They were small-souled. And, and the church just got tired of helping them and encouraging them in their spiritual walk. And they just gave up on them. They said, you know what? We gave you three times and now we're moving on because our time is very valuable. And we're going to invest it in people that seem to respond to us. And you aren't responding to us. So could you just go find somewhere else to be? We need to focus on the people who get it. Oh, how far from the church that Paul had envisioned that is. Third, we must support, literally hold on to the weak. If you don't, they will fall away. And everyone knows some of these people. And sometimes we're weak for different reasons. Sometimes it's a season of life. The loss of a spouse, the loss of a family member. It leads us into a time and a place of, of weakness. And Paul is saying, hold on to them. Encourage them. These are people that are often because they've never been really discipled or rooted in the gospel. They're, they're influenced by every wind of doctrine. They drift, they're, they're blown, they, they change like the weather. And this is why we must stand with them and hold on to them so that they don't get blown away and be carried away from the church. And the strengthening influence of hearing the word preached regularly Fellowship with God's people regularly. This is where the work is cut out for us, church. And as Paul has already mentioned, he doesn't mean to go on supporting them forever and ever, right? He wants us to continue to patiently support them during the period of their weakness while we're attempting to strengthen them. But that, that period is going to be difficult, they're not easy to handle because of their propensity to just kind of drift away. And finally, Paul is concerned with the mutual relations that exist among the members of the congregation. He reminds them, like he does in Romans 12, 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now that word seeks is interesting. Because what it literally means in the Greek is to pursue or track down like a hunter. Ways of doing good to one another and to all people. Notice we're to do good in return for evil, not only to Christians, but also unbelievers as well. This morning, we celebrate the greatest example of this in human history. Matthew says two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one, of his, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So here's your application for this last part. They are literally nailing him to a cross. And he is not repaying them evil for the evil in which they are doing. This week, I want to encourage you. Seek several ways to do good to those who have wronged you. Evaluate your list and and get started on at least one of them. One one of the ways in which you can do good for someone who has done evil to you. There are a few things harder for some Christians to do. But when you seek for ways to do good, You'll discover if you really want to overcome your anger and your bitterness and your hatred. And sadly, because so few of us think biblically, we we may find it difficult to come up with any way to do good. And that's why it's so important for us to change our attitudes. And let me stress again the, the importance of that strong word, Seek that he uses. It means to pursue or to track down like a hunter. Now for some of you ladies, you're good cooks. And maybe the first step is just cooking a delicious dessert for them. For some of you, it may be as simple as stopping by your favorite Coffee shop and and picking up their favorite drink for them. And then just showing up to work and being like, hey, just thought about you. For some of you, the first step might be just acknowledging them. (laughs) You've been ignoring them for so long. It, It might just be to acknowledge them and to be polite. This morning, can you join in with Jesus By saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you live a life that is committed to doing good, even to those who do evil against you? Whether they are believers or unbelievers, Paul says it doesn't matter. 
we, we celebrate this morning God loving his enemies. Sending Jesus to live the perfect life and sacrifice that none of us can ever pay. Dying and offering up that sacrifice on the cross. He offered it. Nobody took it. He offered it. He gave it up. He gave it freely for you and for me. So that we might be able to experience and understand what he means by doing good to those who do evil against you. This morning, it is my hope and prayer that you know him. You know the one who came and died for your sin. And three days later rose again to offer all of us the opportunity to have a relationship with God and a new life forever with him. Let's pray, Father. We thank you that you love your enemies. God, because if we are honest, we are definitely your enemy. We want and desire what we want and desire far more than we want and desire what you want. And so, Father, as we come here this morning, as we do every Lord's Day, celebrating the resurrection, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just reach into our hearts. And Lord, just if there's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning, that, that your Holy Spirit would convict them. Show them their need, Lord. So that they might turn to you this morning. And Father, for those of us who have turned to you, are we doing what Paul has called us to do in this passage? Or do we find ourselves being the opposite of loving? Love is patient, but we are impatient with people, especially the, the, the weak and the small-souled. We want to see change on our timetable, not your timetable. Again, just another way in which we want to be God. Father, help us to confess and repent of that this morning. And Lord, there are so many people in this room I know that have been wronged, even this last week. But definitely those who have experienced evil, Lord. God, I pray this morning that they would leave here challenged to do good to those who have done evil toward them. And Lord, your Holy Spirit would empower them to follow through and roll up their sleeves to the wearisome labor, Lord, of loving those who don't love us. Showing grace and mercy and peace the way we have been shown grace and mercy and peace. And extending that forgiveness that has come from you first. The forgiveness we see 
with Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.